Christmas music, don't you? Wonderful. Christmas music. You can't beat that. I love the message of Christmas music, and I just love the, um, I don't know, the spirit. I enjoy this time of the year. As a whole, it seems that, not always, but as a whole, it seems that people are a little less, um, I don't know, on edge. They're a little bit, well, they might be on edge, but they're a little kinder, it seems. People are a little friendlier this time of year, it seems to me. Now, maybe that's not always the case, but... You may have run into somebody that wasn't, or maybe you live with somebody like that. Uh, but uh, you're not awake yet, are you? Okay. But uh, I like this time of year. I really do. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin reading verse 25. We're going to read through verse 39. Now, don't get too scared. It's not that long of a passage. It won't take that awfully long. It's small verses for the most part. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 39. Again, tonight uh, we'll be uh, on our service this, this evening. We'll do our best to end at the proper time so we can jump right into that meeting and get that over with. We have our annual business meeting this, this evening. I want to get that handled and taken care of before the holiday. And uh, so uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. But uh, today we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. The Bible says, And behold... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he... Him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, 
the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna, they recognized Jesus Christ as the Messiah or as Christ, the anointed one. As a matter of fact, in verse 25, we read there that he says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and that man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That was a title for the Messiah. He recognized who he was. The moment he takes him in his arms, he knows that this child is the promised one. He recognizes that this Jesus is God in flesh. Both him and Anna realized that he was the anticipated king who would ultimately establish his self on the throne of David and rule and reign in Jerusalem. They recognized this. They knew this. And as a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that they shared that news with others. But obviously, it didn't bring such a great stir. It appears that most thought nothing of it. Most discounted it. As a matter of fact, it's hard for me to imagine if indeed Jesus Christ had showed up, if indeed the Messiah was there, why in the world would the city have even permitted Him to leave? It's because they really didn't believe, did they? I mean, we know that there would be some kings that would come along here another year or so, a couple years later, at least a year later. But the fact is, is that the kings would show up to honor him. The kings would show up to lift and elevate him up, to show their homage to him. But wait a second, what happened to the people in Jerusalem that day? I mean, Simeon and Adam are saying, wait, the consolation of Israel is here. The Messiah has come. The Christ is here. What, what happened? Obviously nothing. I believe there were others that may have been looking for him, but they were looking in the wrong place. We think about the shepherds, of course. The shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, turn there if you would please, just a few verses back. It says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Once they had confirmed the birth of Jesus Christ, once they seen Him with their own eyes, the Bible tells us that they went about telling others. As a matter of fact, in verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But once again, notice the response. I mean, they go out and they tell everybody, wait a second, we've got this wonderful news. Wait a second, the Messiah's been born. Slow down, hold up, hit the brakes. Jesus Christ is here. (laughs) These were the same Israelites, obviously, uh, that had grown up in hope of one day being delivered by this Messiah. I mean, they'd been taught and they had been told about him. They had received information about him. But wait a second. The Bible tells us when the, 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 these uh, particular uh, 
shepherds went out and told the people they wondered at those things. See, they may have been moved. They may have been stirred even. But they weren't impressed enough to be moved to action. Again, they, they studied the Old Testament prophecies. They had anticipated the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. When the Bible says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. They had read those words. They had heard those words. They had been taught those words throughout their lifetime. And yet, when Jesus Christ shows up, the shepherds go forth and tell them, Simeon and Anna, proclaim it to Jerusalem. No one moves. It seems that the majority, almost everyone it seems, <laughs> missed the most important birth and arrival that history has ever provided. Take the year 1809. The international scene was in upheaval. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria and blood was flowing freely. There was no doubt that he was a great leader, at least of armies and men. Nobody cared about babies. Nobody cared about so many other things because this great leader, Napoleon, was taking over, rolling throughout the world. The world was overlooking, however, some very significant births. For example, William Gladstone was one born that year. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. You know, that same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. He would one day, you know, greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. We know that. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not far away in Boston, a man by the name of Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. It was also in that same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert. You know how that ended. That same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. The baby's name, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, if there had been news broadcasts at that time in those days... I'm certain the world would have heard the destiny of the world is being shaped on an Australian battlefield. But history was actually being shaped in the cradle of England and America. And in that same manner, in Jesus' day, everybody thought the big news was taxation. But it was really about a babe that was born in a manger. That is where the biggest news of all was being cradled. You know, in our lives, it's equally as tempting to become so engulfed in our culture and our society and the events of things and in our lives and the busyness of our day and age that the big news is overshadowed. You know, there's some big news that you and I can't afford to miss this morning. Just like there was some big news they really couldn't afford to miss, but they did. And God help us not to miss the big news. Let's have a word of prayer, and I want to share three, three things. Some big news 
about this Jesus. Father, we come to you. We need you. We love you. Help us, Lord, today and just speak to our hearts in these next few minutes. We love you and we need you. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, you can't miss the big news, and neither can I, that he came. You can't miss that he came. Now listen, I know you're here today, and so because you're here, I'm sure and confident that you're aware that he came. I know that. But the Bible tells us, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. I want you to know that that day in that manger, God was born. Literally, the God of heaven that created all the universe was in a manger. I mean, he came for you and I, the same one who was cradled in, in the arms of the Father and the, the same one that had been in the, 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 the care of the angelic host. That same Jesus found himself in a stable simply being born in a manger. That's amazing to me. He came. He came. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ came today? Aren't you glad that he didn't, uh, when they said, who will go for us? Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, but I'm a little busy. I'm sorry, but I got too much on my plate. I'm sorry, but it's just a little bit too hard, too difficult, too uncomfortable. I think I'll stay in heaven. Thank you. I'm glad that he came. He came. You can't miss that news. They missed it in Jesus' day. I mean, the Savior had come. He had finally been born, and yet they missed the big news missed it but you know what not only that but you talk about some big news not only did he come but he cares he cares that's pretty big news now listen we live in a world today where people are just literally killing themselves because they believe nobody cares and yet i want you to know there's some big news here today that jesus christ not only came to her but he cares for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, look there, would you please? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He cares about your soul. See, the Bible says that in the Garden of Eden that, that God had created a man, obviously, and before He placed him there, He created him. And the Bible says He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And let me tell you that you will live forever. It doesn't matter uh, the, whether you are 90 in this life or whether you're 50 in this life or whether you die at 30 in this life. You're going to continue to live long after you die in this world. You're going to live forever, but you're going to live forever somewhere because you don't all go to the same place. There is a heaven and there's a hell. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ came for one reason, and the reason He really came is to, to, to be glorified in the, His creation, yes. But also, He can't be done unless you are saved and worshiping Him. Now listen, I know we say He came to save our souls. He did. But the reason He saved us is so we can lift Him up, elevate Him, and worship Him, and please Him as He designed us to do but he cares look in 2 Corinthians 8 9 for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ he's speaking to the Corinthians you know he says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich I mean, Jesus Christ literally left the splendors of heaven and took His place on this sordid earth that He created. And I say, it wasn't pleasant for Him in any way, shape, or form. He didn't get any pleasure by hanging out with a bunch of sinners like us. But He did it because He loves us and He cares for our soul. 
Next time you say God doesn't care about me, you remember the price He paid to just come to earth, let alone hang on an old rugged cross with nails in His hands and feet and a crown of thorns upon His head. He cares. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, look there, not only about your soul, but He cares about your supply. He wants to meet your every need. He wants to be there on your behalf. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. You know, let's be honest. There's a number of people through our lifetime that will say, Listen, if you ever need anything, let me know. And then there are those people that we know when they say it, they mean it, and we're not. We're willing to tell them. I mean, there's so many people who say that, but we don't believe them. Now listen to what, I'm not trying to be coy and I'm not trying to be negative or critical. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I've had so many people in my life say, man, if you ever need anything, let me know. But I think, yeah, I need a hundred bucks, but I'd never ask them because I know that'd be stupid. They weren't going to give me no hundred dollars. They didn't really mean it. I mean, they, they mean it in one sense, but they don't mean it to the degree that I think I would like them to mean it. Oh, so it's the middle of the night and, you know, I need somebody to take me to the hospital. I think I'll call this person at 2 in the morning. There's only so many people you're going to call at 2 in the morning if you have a need like that. Now, you may have 10 people say, if you ever need anything, let me know. You know, well, let me look up my phone. I had six of them this week. Let me start calling from the top to bottom. Hey, brother so-and-so, listen, how about taking me to the hospital right now? They may do it. They'd probably do it out of shame, if anything. They'd probably, why are you calling me? Doesn't he have a wife? Doesn't he have a husband? Doesn't, she, doesn't he have a friend? Doesn't he have a family member? Doesn't he have somebody to do that? Down deep you're thinking, I know they, would, they wouldn't really be happy to do it. They'd probably think somebody else should do it. Now They said it, but did they really mean it? When Jesus says, casting all your care on him because he cared for you, let me tell you, he means it. You know why? Because he cares for you. That's how much he cares. He's all right with you casting your burdens on him. He's all right with you telling him how horrible of a day you had. He's all right with you telling him what your great needs are. He's all right with you talking to him about your family and friends and others that are in need of him. He is okay with that. Why? Because he cares for you. A little baby. I mean, we've got a little granddaughter in the family now. And let me tell you, that little baby's got all kinds of needs. And she lets everybody know. She better be glad she's got a mama that cares because mama meets those needs. Casting all your care upon her because she cares for you, little baby. And so she says, I'm hungry. And you know how she says it? And she says, I'm cold. You know how she says it? And she says, she says, I don't like that. You know how she says it? She, she says the same thing for everything now. It's kind of funny. We just can't seem to get her to talk yet. But once she does, well, well, she wasn't. But but the fact is, is is that she knows somebody cares. And she knows when she cries out and she says, I'm in need. I have a hurt. I have a heartache. I have a... She knows somebody cares and somebody will be there to meet her need. Let me tell you something. You've got a heavenly father today that loves you. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ who literally came. But not only that, he cares today. I don't know what your hurt is. I don't know what your heartache is. But I want you to know He cares. And you just need to cast your cares upon Him. 
Maybe it's a loved one or a family member that's hurting and in need. Cast your cares upon Him. Maybe it's a marriage or a relationship with someone. Cast your care upon Him. Maybe it's some mental anxiety and maybe it's just an overwhelming feeling of of just everything in life. Let me tell you, cast your care upon Him. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, we got to cast our cares upon Him. Cast your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares. Well, that's some big news. And they get you excited. Doesn't they say, wow. I mean, really? Not only did He come for you, and I know He came to earth, but He cares about us. That's big. Well, I'm not going to pray God could care less about me. Yes, He does care about you. You're pretty special. You know how special you are? He died for you. He hung on a cross for you. That's how precious and how valuable you are to Him. That's pretty good, huh? He cares. But not only that, I love this point. This is some big news. I mean big. Yes, it's big news He came. Man, it's big news He cares. But you know what? This one, I really like this one. It's big news. He's coming again. He's coming. He's coming again. Let me tell you, He's coming back. I can't tell you, I, man, I, I, that fires me up. I was talking to a gentleman just yesterday, and, and uh, uh, we were talking about the, the, the times and things going on. And he said, yeah, he says, boy, his return can't be long. And I said, wow, you're talking about the rapture, brother. I like it. I said, amen, I hope he comes right now. <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't know about you, but I don't look forward to closing my eyes in death. I don't look forward to the journey, maybe. I mean, death, I guess, is bad. You know, in one sense, we think about ending this life. But hold on. It's not death itself. It's the journey sometimes that bothers me a little bit. I mean, I just don't like the idea of getting there. I've watched people suffer, and I've watched people deal with hurt and heartache. I've seen them go through horrible situations. I think, Lord, spare me that. Let me just doze off to sleep then. may not choose to do it that way, though. And he could choose to make me suffer. And I think, well, Lord, just come back, please. Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> I just wanted to come back. He's coming. In Isaiah seven fourteen, we already talked about this, but his coming was prophesied. His first coming. I mean, he told us he was coming. He made it clear in the word of God. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He told them that early on. Guess what? He came. He told them in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He made it very clear that he he would come. He prophesied. It was prophesied. But his, his resurrection was predicted too. I think about that. We think about the resurrection now, and when Jesus said, uh, listen, he told him in the word of God, I'm coming the first time, I'll be there, he showed up. 
But then he went ahead and he told his disciples as he journeyed on earth, guess what, gentlemen? Guess what, fellas? Yes, I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to face some difficulty. But let me tell you, I'm going to rise again. He tells us that in Matthew 16, 21. For that time forth, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that he'd raise again. And guess what he did? He rose again. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 6, as the ladies went to, to find his body and to take care of him, it says, and he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Jesus had made it very clear. Listen, I'm going to die, yes, but I'm going to raise again. I'm not going to remain in that tomb. I'm not going to remain in the grave. Let me tell you something. Three days and three nights later, I'm coming out. And he did. He did. Not only was his first coming prophesied, and he came, his resurrection predicted, and he rose, but his return is promised. Look, if you will, in John chapter 14. Again, his return is promised. We know that, of course, he gave the news that he was going to have to go before these scribes and that he would have to be, that he'd be tormented, that he'd be tortured, that he'd be mistreated by the priests and the elders and that ultimately he would die on an old rugged cross. He made that very clear to his disciples. And may I say, because of that news, they were very discouraged and they were very down. But Jesus Christ, again, comes to their aid and makes a promise to them in John 14, verse 1 through 3. He tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Now, I just told you this wonderful news, disciples. I've just given you the insight and the, 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 the news that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be betrayed and ultimately killed. And, but listen, let not your heart be troubled. Wow. You believe in God? Well, of course we do. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Well, that's nice. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We see that he makes a promise to his disciples. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm coming back for you. Look at you on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A wonderful passage, one that's often used uh, maybe at funerals and other times in our Christian lives. It's something we need to be reminded of constantly. So we face this wicked, sinful world in which we live. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's amazing, right off the bat, concerning them which are asleep. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't worry too much about those that are asleep in my home. If they're sleeping and they're resting silently, I'm doing well. You know, you know how it is growing up with children in your home. If you, you can hear them, they're not sleeping, they're... And you're like, oh, great. You know what that means all night long. That the wife will be up and you'll be trying to sleep. Okay, maybe you're up. Okay, so anyway, I, I'm just saying, though, you know you got a long night ahead of you, don't you? You're like, I'm not going to get any rest tonight. That baby's going to drive me nuts. I'm going to be so afraid it's going to just stop breathing. You ever feel like that with your kids? 
when they're not resting, they're waking up crying, they're waking up yelling, they're waking up this, they're waking up that, they're getting out of bed, they're, oh man, you just like, you just can't rest because they're not sleeping. I don't ever worry about the children that are sleeping and they just, you look, oh, they're so cute. It's the ones that can't sleep. So when Jesus, or when, when the Apostle Paul tells the ones in Thessalonica here, these, these believers, he says, I, I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. What in the world? You know, he's not talking about sleep. He's talking about death. Those that are dead. Those that are physically asleep. When you're sleeping, you, you, you know, you're not, hey, hey, wake up. If they're really sleeping sound, they're like... Right? They don't move. They don't budge. Uh, brush your teeth, son. He doesn't do a thing. Take out the trash. He doesn't do it. He's asleep. Guess what? He's talking about, he's drawing a picture to us. The believer simply sleeps. Now their body is, quote, dead. We would say they're dead. They're clinically dead. They have no heartbeat. They're clinically dead. But let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ looks at us, he sees us as simply asleep because we are still living. We're still alive. We're in the presence of the Lord the moment we close our eyes in death, we say. And so in this particular passage, he's talking about those that have already died. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Our sorrow, we don't sorrow like the world sorrows. We ought not to, at least. Oh, it's not saying that our heavy, hearts won't be heavy. It's not saying that we won't have difficulties in, in separating from our loved ones. It's always going to. That's one of the great promises that we have, that there'll be neither death, nor sorrow, nor crying. We know that over in Revelation 21.4. So we realize that death is a horrible thing because it separates us from our loved ones but we still have hope because they're simply sleeping. He goes on to say, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? If you do, I mean, if he promised or prophesied his coming and he came, if he predicted his resurrection and he did rise from the dead, he goes on to say, then even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, will not go before them. Now, we don't have time to get into all those details, but what it basically means is that when Jesus Christ returns, the graves will be opened, their bodies will meet their souls, and we will then go. Now, I mean, it's going to happen so fast that I don't know that the order is that awfully important to you and I, but it obviously was important to God when he shared it. For the Lord himself shall descend, verse 16, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, Amen. them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm, I'm not very... Um, I'm, I could, we were talking the other day, and, and we were talking about pizza. And uh, one of the fellows uh, was talking, uh, they, he was just saying, you know, you like pizza. Yeah, and, 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 and one of them, Brother Glenn said, I could eat pizza three times a day. Wow. I, I love pizza. It's uh, three times a day. And, and I said, me too. And then later I had to go back and confess to him that I really don't like cold pizza, so it would have to be probably lunch and dinner. 
two times a day for me. Now, what I mean, I guess I'm saying is this. I'm one of those guys that's not hard to please. I, I like things. If it's something good at a restaurant, I'll get it every time because I don't take a chance on getting something bad. You know, that's me, you know. If I know a place has good hot chocolate, I want to go to that place because I don't want to take a chance on getting one, drinking it and go, this doesn't have any chocolate taste and throw it away. I'm just funny about that. Give me, if I like it, I want to get it over and over again. It's enough for me. So I say, well, variety's the spice of life. Well, I don't need a lot of variety. I just want it good. Okay, so that's me, okay? Now, I have no idea why I'm talking about that. I had something in my mind when I started. I really don't know where that's going, but it's, it's so true. I'm reading the passage going, now, Lord, what did you give me a minute ago that I just forgot? But let me tell you something. Let's get back to the message. His return is promised. And, and in this particular passage, he says, listen, well, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'll tell you what, that's some big news. He's coming again. That's big news. Big news. So you know what? Don't miss the big news. A little over 2,000 years ago, there was a whole city and a nation that missed the big news. They missed it. They went on with their lives as though nothing had changed. They acted as if it was all the same. That morning and to that night, it doesn't matter when it was. Oh, everything's the same. It had changed. Jesus had come. Anna and Simeon, they knew. They knew. I mean, the consolation of Israel. People, He is here. The weighted Messiah is here. And they went, good, good. Glad to hear it. I got I to gotta go to work. Glad to hear it. You know, I got to catch up on some rest. Glad to hear it. But I got responsibilities to take care of and things to do. I, I don't have... That's wonderful. Glad to hear it. The reality is they really didn't believe it. Or it would have changed their whole life. Don't miss the big news that he came. He came because he loves you. He came because he cares. He cares about you. Don't miss that big news. He wants you to be saved. He wants your sin to be forgiven. He wants you to ultimately live with Him forever in a place called heaven. There is a heaven and there is a hell. We, gotta, we, we are so quick to try to dismiss some of the dark realities or the, the dismal realities of the Word of God today. I mean, we don't want to discourage people. And we don't want to seem like we're down in the dumps and like it's always negative and critical. But let me tell you something. What makes His coming so wonderful, what makes His death on Calvary worth it all, is that we would die and go to hell without it. That's what makes it so wonderful. Have you ever had a toothache? It's amazing how much you appreciate not having one. Once you've had one. You ever been there? We went away to Amish country one time and, and we got away for a couple of days. We thought we were going to have a great time. Well, I got over there and on the way down, my tooth was just throbbing and it got so bad that literally I, I thought about trying to knock myself out. Now, my wife has done it on a number of occasions, but I didn't want her to have to do that on our getaway. But 
Anyway, no, I'm teasing. But nonetheless, see, I, I just told her, I can't take it no more. I can't stand it. We're down in Amish country. Now, we're only an hour or so away. But for some reason, years and years ago, that seemed like such a long ways away. I don't know. Nowadays, you're like, mm, pulling your drive an hour later is no big deal, right? But it just seemed like that was a long ways, you know, in the day. And I said, we got to find a dentist. Well, it's, Friday, it's Saturday. It's Friday night, Saturday. It's like, what? what it's middle, you know, it's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm going crazy. I can't take it. I'm thinking, I'm just going to run into that wall head first and try to knock myself out. Can you? I have no idea where that's going now either. I've lost it completely here. I'm telling you, it's been a bad day, folks. I. I got to admit, there's a lot, a lot going on this morning. But let me tell you something. That tooth got taken care of just a few days later. And man, I was like, ah, it's so wonderful to have a mouth where there's no pain. All that suffering that Jesus did, how horrible it was, how heinous it was. So wonderful. Our sin was so wretched and so wicked and the penalty for our sin was so great. It makes that salvation so much sweeter. Jesus Christ, don't miss the big news. He came. He cares. He's coming again. In December of 1903, after a number of attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. They were so happy, so elated, so thrilled that they telegraphed this message to their sister Catherine. It read, quote, We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine, she she hurried to the editor of the local newspaper and showed him the message. And he looked at it and he said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He actually missed the big news. Man had flown. Had finally taken flight, but he missed it all. Don't miss the big news. He came. He cares. He's coming again. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you've invited Jesus Christ into your life. Not just that you had some experience. Not just that you felt this presence at some point in your life. Literally, you remember recognizing yourself as the sinner you are in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And you called and asked Him to forgive you, save you, and come into your life, recognizing Him alone as your only hope of salvation and forgiveness. And then once you've done that, don't ever doubt that He cares for you. That's some big news that you can't afford to forget. You can't miss it. He cares. So cast every care on Him today. What burden are you bearing? Will you cast it on Him? And never forget, no matter how dark the days may be, no matter how difficult your life can get, He's coming again. He's coming again. Father, we love